It was April 25th, 1947, when Anne Vorschach's latest film, The Private Affairs of Bellamy, opened domestically. The freshly divorced star was making appearances at parties, speaking candidly with newspaper columnists, and once again reinventing her public image. United Artists brought together the sententious and smarmy stylings of George Sanders, the refined manners of Angela Lansbury, and the always eruptive undercurrents of Anne Vorschach. It was a full deck of cards. As usual, Sanders played a likable but lascivious trickster. Seven years earlier, the actor starred alongside Joan Fontaine and Laurence Olivier in Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca. There, the acerbic actor eats a cold chicken wing in a parked car. Absolutely disgusting behavior. I do not want to talk about it. In the private affairs of Bellamy, George Sanders repeatedly paces back and forth while cradling an assortment of objects. In every scene, the actor holds a hat, cup, cigarette, or mirror. I'm not sure if his lines were written on these items or what the deal was. Meanwhile, Angela Lansbury looks understandably bored after having to sit in a carriage for 70% of the movie. Vorschach stands head and shoulders above the other two leads. When supporting actor Susan Douglas appears in the film, Anne says, Sometimes I want to throw you out the window. The actress's performance appears to be both amorphous and modern. There is a sense of experimentation in Anne's approach to dialogue, something that you would have not seen in the 30s. Although the film can be languorous and occasionally silly, Vorschach makes Bellamy eminently watchable. The star, only four years away from retirement, was still reinventing herself. Prior to the movie's release, Anne would have to suffer through an interminable period of questioning, but she was ready. Vorschach was on the spot. Five members of the Low Lewin Publicity Department were interviewing her in the interests of the movie Belle Ami. They were probing, they said, into her innermost soul, reported newspaper man Erskine Johnson. The object, one of the press agents whispered to us, is to learn so much we can amaze even the gal's mother. Giving them the third degree, as the press agents say, is a quaint Hollywood custom invented years ago by some unknown inquisitive hero. The practice consists of the publicity departments calling all hands on deck, placing the trembling subject in the middle, and pounding her with questions until she's so groggy she drops all her inhibitions and hollers, Guilty! Sometimes it is rough going. Stars are inclined to be extremely careful when they're talking to press agents. They hold back, 
They duck. They conveniently forget things. They even lie and toss back the questions as fast as the boys reeled them off. She ran the course of some 167 questions in less than two hours without even ruffling her newly tinted red hair. What is your most attractive feature? Eyes. That's all you see on the screen. To the point where sometimes they go cross-eyed in close-ups due to focusing on one point. Do you recommend marrying outside the profession? No. I think it's impossible for a non-professional to understand the life. Do you find Hollywood really glamorous, or how would you describe the town as a whole? I don't think Hollywood's glamorous. It's a little California town which suddenly finds the picture business on its hands. It's like a tempest in a teapot, a confused town. How did you feel as a blonde? A little dizzy. I was a blonde for a year and a half or two years. I was getting very tired of it. It lasted for about three pictures. What is your opinion of Hollywood men as compared with those you met in England? I think men here are far less conceited and much more real. I find men much easier to work with here. In England, they're very temperamental. What was your first job? As a reporter for a Los Angeles newspaper, I covered fires, but I always missed them because I had no sense of direction. I was fired because of that. What reaction do you find in Europe to Hollywood films? It's a rather sad thing, rather tragic. The only impression Europeans have of Americans, they get through films. They believe everything they see on screen. Do you consider yourself photogenic? No, I do not. I have a lot of bad angles. While discussing the private lives of Bellamy, Anne took unapologetic aim at men's fashion. A one-woman crusade against modern men's styles is being waged by screen star Anne Vorschach, who believes that men of today lack taste and imagination in their clothes, exclaimed the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. While men have done wonders through the past couple of centuries in helping to beautify the world, the actress said, they have gone from bad to worse in their own personal appearance. Men's clothes today are nothing short of hideous. I can think of nothing more uninteresting than a businessman's sack suit, complains Miss Vorschach. Sports jackets help a little with their color combinations, but they lack elegance. The rest of modern men's wardrobe is downright dull. While Vorschach's press in 1947 was often complimentary and without ire, Reba Churchill of the Valley Times was still particularly miffed when it came to Anne's off-and-on commitment to filmmaking. Anne Dvorak has consistently kicked a time-honored Hollywood maxim in the teeth and gotten away with it. The maxim is, you have to get in there and keep pitching if you want to stay on top. In other words, nobody in show business can afford to drop a career just any old time and then come back to it. Three different times, Anne played to a host of marquee fans only to drop her career. Each time, and to Hollywood, this is miraculous. She picked it up again and went on as if nothing had happened. For whatever reason, the occasional newspaper columnist would still find time to roast Vorschach when it came to her past career choices. Even Jimmy Fiddler, who was once an ardent supporter of the actress, decided to pile on. In the past, Anne Vorschach has thrown her screen career overboard just when her prospects seemed brightest and traipsed off in quest of romance, wrote Fiddler. Twice at least, her itching foot has cost her certain stardom. 
but I've never heard her express a single regret. She's one Hollywoodite who's actually nonchalant about both fame and money. At this stage in her well-documented and divisive career, Anne was impervious to insipid opinions of all varieties. Simply put, she did not care. The public figure had personal news. Vorshak had begun a serious relationship with the Russian-born Igor Dega, a professional dancer who made his living in nightclubs. The lively, ebullient, and wildly conversational Dega lived for socializing. He was the complete antithesis of Anne's former partner, Leslie Fenton, a man who some would consider a stick in the mud. Vorshak found herself completely in love with her nocturnal partner. Around this time, RKO approached Anne about The Long Night, a film about a beleaguered Henry Fonda being chased by the police. While this title has the surface trappings of a crime procedural, there is plenty of goofiness to be found. People tell their astrological signs to a dog. Vincent Price wears a crooked bow tie while calling himself a returning ghost. And Anne Vorshak files her nails while saying, cut the patter. The long night ended up losing roughly $1 million of RKO's money. While not entirely good, the film is so absolutely delirious that it deserves to be seen. Anne's next role would be Out of the Blue. Directed by Lee Jason, the film did so well that famed gossip columnist Luella Parsons predicted a career resurgence. I never thought I'd go overboard for Anne Vorshak, either on or off the screen, since she's never been one of my favorite actresses, Parsons said. Although I have known her for many years, I have never particularly felt close to her. But after I saw her in Out of the Blue, in which she plays an inebriated lady, one of the most hilarious characters I've ever seen on the screen, I felt I wanted to talk to Anne. Her performance had intrigued me. Parsons would indeed visit Vorshak. The two spoke about everything from movies to journalism. Still, the conversation would inevitably shift to Anne's love for the ever-gregarious Igor Dega. Parsons said that Anne was, quote, beaming. Vorshak and Dega would marry on August 7, 1947. It would be the final act of a busy year. In 1948, Anne would be cast in The Respectful Prostitute, a Broadway play that took aim at racism in the South. Always eager to be challenged, the dynamic actress decided to temporarily leave film in favor of the stage. From September 1st through December 18th, Vorshak would call the Court Theater on West 48th Street her home. The Iowa City Press Citizen even weighed in on the play, calling Anne's performance sterling. Meanwhile, the Brooklyn Daily Eagle ignored the show altogether. After the respectful prostitute had wrapped on Broadway, Forshack joined a summer stock production of Anna Lucasta. All was going well until the actress accidentally dropped an entire bottle of milk on her foot. After immediate examination, it was clear that several bones were, in fact, broken. As you would expect, Anne Vorshak's availability would never be in question. The hobbled performer would continue to appear throughout the entirety of the show's run. 
Upon the completion of this production, the actress would join Igor Dega in Florida. There, the professional dancer was in the middle of playing a long-term engagement. The weary star tolerated lengthy days in the sun and suffered through never-ending nights at the clubs. The excitement of socializing, which had never come naturally to Anne, eventually wore thin. Vorschach's marriage to Dega was equivalent to a cup of coffee. By early 1950, it was already over. Anne Vorschach to ask divorce from Dega. Hollywood, January 3rd. Screen actress Anne Vorschach said today she will divorce dancer Igor Dega because his dancing engagements take him into the nightclubs too much. I tried, but I just can't go on night after night sitting in these cafes, Miss Vorschach said. The actress said her husband is in Florida and she returned here to resume her film career. Miss Vorschach and the Russian-born Dega were married in August 1947, after her divorce from director Leslie E. Fenton. It was Dega's third marriage. The actress lamented that her husband was sullen, morose, and often stayed out until 5 a.m. This would not work. By fall of 1950, Anne Vorschach was set to play a supporting role in George Cukor's A Life of Her Own. Once called the modern Cinderella of Hollywood, Vorschach was now a stalwart character actor. This slowly developing reality was mirrored in Cukor's picture, a movie where Vorschach plays a top model in the twilight of her career. Here, the actress weaves in and out of the frame, smokes cigarettes, and longs for a new place to live. One, she says, overlooking a river. The smoke and heat of a long career was manifesting itself on screen. While a life of her own was met by a little fanfare upon its release, the film contains Anne Vorschach's very best performance, one of desire and defeat. In 1951, the actress would play a supporting role in director Michael Gordon's The Secret of Convict Lake. The story deals with a group of escaped prisoners surrounding a peaceful settlement in the largely uninhabited mountains of California. Bullets splinter cabin doors, fists fly and Glenn Ford's beard is too perfectly manicured under the conditions. The Secret of Convict Lake would be Anne Vorschach's final film. Here, she gets to longingly stare out a window, slap someone, light a barn on fire, break a mirror, and make sassafras tea. It was one heck of a way to end a career. After 22 years in the industry, Anne called it quits. This time for good. She was just 40 years old. In the three months following her departure from Hollywood, Anne would visit her beloved Paris, a place she had not seen since her well-documented row with Warner Brothers in the early 1930s. Vorschach was flooded with memories. When the now-retired actress returned stateside, she fell in love with a man named Nick Wade. Little is known about Anne's final partner. Wade was described by friends and neighbors alike as being ill-tempered and unsupportive. In 1959, Anne and Nick moved to Oahu. There, the former actress buried herself in books. Over the course of several isolated years, Vorschach would spend the majority of her time playing piano and fixing extravagant meals for her feline companion, Omar. In the mid-60s, she began writing an 18-volume history of the world calling it the Historical Digest. It was typical Anne Vorschach. 
Still, even after this laborious process concluded, no institution found interest in the vast collection of writings. These volumes are lost to time. During her final years, Anne avoided talking about her past. Hollywood was a distant and sometimes painful memory. As the former actress grew older, she reverted back to her protective assistant choreographer days at MGM. When visiting a restaurant in Los Angeles, Anne felt that a flamenco guitarist did not receive an appropriate amount of applause. Vorschach quickly stood up and confronted her fellow diners. Why don't you all clap? Can't you see this man is breaking his heart for us? Anne Vorschach passed away from cancer on December 10th, 1979. She was 68 years old. Two weeks later, the actress's longtime friend, Joan Blondell, would follow her. In the coming years, Anne days as a choreographer, chorus girl, bacteriologist, baseball team owner, wartime journalist, ambulance driver, walnut rancher, and Hollywood star would fade from collective memory. On occasion, her name would unpredictably appear in newspaper television listings. She would pop up in places such as Galveston, Texas, Greenwood, South Carolina, and Kokomo, Indiana. In 2001, Anne Vorschach appeared in the Chicago's Daily Herald. Scarface, the movie that made her a household name in the 1930s, could be seen at 5.30 p.m. As the years continued to pass by, the late actress could no longer be found in television guides of any kind. Anne, who always wanted to leave Hollywood, had finally vanished for good. During the actress's lifetime, Anne's decisions not only baffled newspaper columnists and studio executives, but they often confounded her peers, friends, and loved ones. They saw her as a movie star when in reality, Anne was a cartographer and explorer, a searcher and a world full of wonder. Goodbyes are sort of silly, aren't they? Answer to the previous puzzle was written and created by Rob Patrick. It was produced by Lexi McCoy with original music by Noah East and art design by Courtney Lesseur. You have heard the voices of Avery Truffleman, Molly Lambert, Megan Hattie, Julia Shapiro, Brian Formo, Allison Roche, Bram Draper, Noah East, and Allie Rosenberg. 